1: a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to the Advanced Sports Analytics Show here on Roto Grinders, dot com. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender Ed, a.k.a. Blender HD, a.k.a. hopefully uh, this Sunday on top of you in those GPP leaderboards. Uh, and if I'm not, hopefully it's uh, with my with my uh, co-host, the uh, the man behind the numbers at Advanced Sports Analytics, the 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 the, 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 the king of correlation. Is that a, is that a good way to put it? Stuart Gibson, uh Based on uh, last week, last week, I didn't do, do awful. I, I made it up in, in cash, but uh, uh, basically we, we learned that, uh, that any Seahawks game has great correlation. Uh, you just don't know where it's going to go.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, Seahawks have been super interesting. I think early in the season, we had talked a lot about how there's, you know, really strong uh, receiver-to-receiver correlation. In 2019, that was the case. And I think for me, that was a, assumption i have been working on for a good part of 2020 um and you know we we have another game here where it's just all metcalf no locket uh the week before all Lockett, no metcalf um so i was interested to look at kind of the between year splits and correlation between those two guys and like I mean, man, that was a stack I think we talk about a lot as being just a really nice uh, you know three player stack because there's good between receiver correlation, but 2020 that just hasn't been the case at all. There's been um, you know pretty strong negative correlation between those two guys, and uh, it's definitely forcing me or at least encouraging me to kind of uh, you know update my uh, priors with regards to how feasible it is to play both those guys together. Um, But it's also, it's also a salary thing. I always preach the fact that
1: correlation isn't everything like there's projection, there's correlation and there's leverage. So I consider those to be like the three levers of Mm -hmm. DFS. And although receivers may have correlation with one another, or two players may have negative correlation with one another, that the price should dictate how much you should weight that. So we look at guys like Lockett and Metcalf, we could look at like Ridley and Jones on the Falcons, Godwin and Evans. Like when when uh, Thielen and Jefferson, to some extent, when we have like two receivers that are just like not, are, are, are high priced, like in order for one to hit a ceiling, like that's going to be like 30 points in DFS, which in the same game, will the other person at the same price put up 30? So we take a look at, for instance, last week, Uh, I got some questions about, I played the Detroit-Indianapolis game and I made some Stafford stacks that had Galladay and Marvin Jones in it. Mm -hmm. And you would look and go, the correlation between Galladay and Jones is quite negative. But in in the past sample, we're talking about Marvin Jones at 5,500. We're talking about Galladay at 6,600, 6,400, where yes, at those prices, maybe, the negative correlation is not worth the projection even on the stack. But when Marvin Jones is 4,200, like I, do I need 30 points from him? No, I, I, I could get 16 points. Is 16 points from Marvin Jones and 28 from Galladay Is that correlative? And if you take a look and it's quite possible that, although in from a median perspective, maybe they are negatively correlated, but from the point totals that, that you need, Maybe you make that up because the salary makes it feasible to do so.
2: Yeah, in my mind, there are kind of three core ways in which we might want to caveat uh, correlation metrics that we're seeing. One you touched on is salary, right? Like correlation from a mathematical principle is the you know relative, uh, you know, above norm and below norm outcome of player X. Compared to the uh, outcome of player Y relative to that player's norm, when you got a guy like Marvin Jones whose salary and therefore kind of norm uh, historically has been in that kind of five to six k range, um, you know he's negatively correlating with Galladay. And that when Galladay achieves a ceiling relative to his kind of baseline, Jones is achieving a rel- more times than not achieving a floor relative to his. Baseline, but you know the price point on Jones has shifted such that a baseline, like a performance that is in line with Jones' historic baseline, when he's priced at four thousand, is suitable. Uh, when you know his his historic baseline has been at a level that is more in line with the five to six thousand salary that you're seeing him at, um, I think that's kind of in line with what you're talking about and suggesting. Correct.
1: Right, right. It's very, it's very related to, to my vomit stack type of approach on some slates. I think this may be a vomit stack slate. There may be some vomit stack options, but where I don't mind taking the hit in projection for the stack, because the correlation increases the variance of the stack of the stack. When one player does well, then other player does well. So I'm looking to make up, although the projection on the three players or the three plus one is lower because obviously they're cheaper players and they're worse players. They're less likely to hit a ceiling, but if they're more correlated, that means if I have one guy that hits a ceiling at a salary level, I have all of them doing so. And then you could just fill out your, your roster with, you know, high ceiling projected players and the rest of your, so yeah, you fill Devonte Adams and your, and, and, and your uh, and Dalvin cooks and whoever into your lineup. So I think it's very related to that that people look at correlation in a vacuum and and say that well you can't play Ridley and Jones together right yeah you, you can't they're both well at 7, and 7,500, either one goes off the other but let's say they both were four thousand like you 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 jam them into your they'd be cash lineups both together you'd be stacking them no problem because like for four thousand if you get if you get fifteen eighteen points out of them each of them. Like your you're gold, at least from a median perspective, but maybe not a ceiling, but it, if they were both priced, like you could buy one, get one free type of thing. Like yeah. you would look at the correlation metric and go, well, I can't play them together. They're not correlated, but like they, you have to judge the correlation by a baseline because we play a salary based game, not just a pick whoever you want. You know, it doesn't matter what the salary is type of game.
2: Yeah. It's like if Jones has historically been, you know, a guy whose performance is worth about 5.5 K in salary and Galladay at, you know, seven and change hits a ceiling value or, you know, ceiling outcome for him that is in line with someone who's worth, you know, nine K and Galladay hits, you know, some at baseline or slightly below baseline that, you know, is a level that's worth maybe, you know, 5.2, 5.3 K. Well, if he's still only 4 K, you know, that's great. Like you'll take that kind of below his norm. Um, I don't know. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, yeah. One sliding, uh, especially players whose salary is kind of in flux or, or their, their role is in flux. Um, specifically their salaries in flux. Another one, I think where kind of correlation could be ignored or, or take not ignored, but just taken with a grain of salt is when you're looking at correlations between players, who's Roles have been highly variable over the sample you're looking at. So, like Jamal Williams might have some correlation with Devonte Adams historically, but like Jamal Williams historically has been Green Bay RB two. So, like there's just really not, I think, a lot of sense in trying to extrapolate his correlation, his historic correlation with a player for data points when he was in some role, and uh, b- attempting to extrapolate that correlation moving forward when he's in some alternative role, you know? And, and, and I think with Williams, you know, you also have, you know, this kind of volatility in his pricing such that, um, I think it really becomes difficult to, to trust correlative metrics when there is uh, a role of one or even two players that are in great flux. Uh, the third and kind of last caveat that I'm always trying to be aware of is just purely sample size. Like if you see high correlations between players, that are uh, over, you know, a five game sample. Like that's just so small that it becomes difficult to trust with, you know, great confidence that that correlation is um, you know, the true the true correlation level between those two players. Now, if you have a guy, if two guys through who six game uh, if you have two guys who through six games have displayed like a correlation of like 0.8, you know, I don't think in real in reality their true correlation is 0.8. But it might be reasonable to assume that their true correlation is some uh, positive value that's maybe closer to zero. Um, so I don't know. These are the three things I'm, I'm keeping an eye on when I'm when I'm making some of these correlation considerations.
1: Well, that's the that's the name of the show. That's that's what we do here. It's all about game stacks, team stacks, correlations, leverage plays, uh, and and you could do that in the Fanduel single entry series. It's still going on. You're not too late. Uh, The the single entry series is back for another year. It's from week six to 13. So we're we're coming up on week nine. You still got time. You know why? Because the top four combined scores count within each buy-in tier. So even if you missed it, as long as you get four weeks worth of scores, you can make it to be one of the top two finishers in each tier and get into a six-man $20,000 final. The single entry contests are at three buy-ins. $5, $33, $100. So uh, if you're playing on FanDuel this Sunday, enter the FanDuel single-entry series sponsored by Roto-Grinders and get a shot at that big 20K prize pool. So to start uh, this this week, we're going to start with the highest total game. Uh, It's, I believe, the most correlative game on the slate. And when it comes to highly correlated games where the pieces are, there's condensed and highly correlative. I viewed the perspective that you either do, you either play it a lot or play it not that much. And I, I, I'm, 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 I'm leaning right now towards the, this is the game that I may X out, even though it's probably gonna be the most popular. And that's the Seahawks at the Bills. 55 total. Now it's come up two points. Uh, the Seahawks are favored by three as a road favorite. Uh, we got Wilson. We got the normal Seahawks, right? Wilson, Metcalf, Lockett, and uh, and on the on the Bills is Josh Allen, Stefon Diggs. I mean, you have you have to think that Stewart that based on you know just even our ownership and obviously the highest total game, people tend to target the Seahawks defense, and obviously their offense is great. That Stacks like Wilson and one of the receivers plus Diggs, or Josh Allen plus Diggs and Lockett or Metcalf, are gonna have to I mean, are I mean, we're projecting them to be probably probably the most owned uh, two plus one, maybe not as a three plus one. Maybe said maybe they try a secondary bills receiver or something. John Brown or, or Cole Beasley. But uh, based on the correlation, uh, you you'd think it it definitely makes sense as the highest total. I'm assuming see C- Seattle comes in at the at the top of your list on uh, the uh, most likely to score the most is slate.
2: Uh, we have them second highest behind Kansas City. Um, I think it's probably just a lower total game where Kansas City has uh, just a more generous spread in their favor. Um, yeah, I mean, I think with this game, like the good aspects of it are known. Uh, you know, good totals. Teams that are going to be pass oriented um, on the Seattle side. Again, trying to kind of, in my mind, update the way I'm thinking about how to handle Seattle side. Um, You know, uh, two receivers who both correlate exceptionally well with their quarterback, but maybe don't correlate super well together. Um, And a passing attack that, in general, correlates positively uh, with the cumulative output of their opposition. So I think a good kind of cross game environment. And, you know, I think we are able to know with pretty, you know, I think the, the negative detractors from this game are pretty well known, right? It's, um, you know, it's a pricey, uh, it's certainly the Seattle side as uh, pricey, pricey stack to build around. Um, and I think there's probably gonna be pretty high ownership on this game. Um, and it's kind of, I think a decision around, uh, you know, or are you willing to stomach, uh, you know, the price and ownership of this game uh, in an attempt to get access to the things that are really good about it? Um... But I think there, I think there's more
1: negatives than anything. I think this is very similar to what I said about the Seahawks Cardinals game from two weeks back. Of course, I X'd that out, and of course that game went off. So I mean, I lost. Uh, so 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 it, it it didn't matter. But I think. The more the game is correlated. This is not the type of game where the 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 teams have like multiple pass catchers, you know. That you're looking at. Oh, maybe people will take this guy, or that. Maybe people will take Jones, and I'll take Ridley. You know, like the yeah on the C- on Seattle side, but on the Buffalo side, it's pretty much digs. Uh, the the running backs for the Bills, they're kind of now Moss is kind of getting a lot more action than as well as Singletary. But if if Chris Carson is going to be out again. DJ Dallas is at 5,000, or uh, Travis Homer, who may who may not be as dinged up as he was last week, is 4,000. Like, to me, like, they're the most negatively correlated pieces to the chalk stack that we mm-hmm. have currently at RG Ownership, uh, uh, Carson out. So this is with Carson out, like, DJ Dallas is coming in at 3.5%. Ownership it may get up it may get up a little bit more than that I'm maybe it, if, if he ends up being the starter again like maybe it comes up to five or six percent but it's obviously going to be negatively correlated to the you know Lockett at twenty percent Digs at fifteen to twenty percent Metcalf at ten to fifteen percent obviously we got you know we have Allen and Wilson is like two of the highest owned quarterbacks on the slate so like in terms of relative value like I would think that that even if DJ Dallas is projection is is in comparison to other running backs in that range to be not it to be okay but not great uh in the event that seattle does put up 28 points and it and it doesn't come by way of the stack as much i'm not saying lockett and metcalf are sitting there with eight points but they're not sitting there with 30 that the most likely scenario is that either the game entirely goes under which means if you didn't have a piece of the game you're better off compared to the ownership or the game does hit its total, but Seattle go, it's, it's, it's two or three rushing touchdowns or, you know, a backup tight end, you know, Wilson throws to to Hollister or someone who I don't even know who's on the roster anymore. Yeah. Third tight end, you know, uh, Mac- Isaiah McKenzie gets a gadget play for the bills and yeah, it still reaches its total, but not through the, the, the common players. And then you're, you're kind of busting, what looks like to be sixty plus percent ownership in total in the stack,
2: yeah, I mean, I think that play definitely aligns kind of more with with your play style i i I get nervous about totally xing out um you know a game where both teams are you know top ten most likely teams to score the most points um I'm not
1: saying that I'm saying to X out in my, like in my mind, I don't mind taking the, to me, that's the risk tolerance issue. It's a diversification issue. Maybe if I play a hundred lineups, I'll play five stacks in this game, which still puts me extremely under, but I, I, at five stack, maybe I just say, is it even like, just exit out at that point. That's what I kind of did with Seattle, Arizona two weeks ago, that it got to the point that uh, I was building enough lineups without them that I thought was plus EV that why, do I want to even invest five lineups into this? Just let let me invest five more lineups into, into more versions of the other stacks. So to me, that's my question. I'm not saying that I'm xing it out, but I think that this is the type of game because it's so correlative that if you decide to do it, like obviously you're gonna have to find leverage elsewhere. But if you're playing like a portfolio of lineups, you have to think in terms of how much money do you want to invest in this game as the chalk, as well as being the, the highest, you know, it, it is the best game. You're right. It is. But how is your lineup going to be that dramatically different? So I think in terms of if I X this game out, I can make a lot more diversified lineups. But if I don't X this game out, the lineups that I make with this, like I feel like I have to make too many of them because I have to find ways to get away from other chalk that I feel like, like if I want to play this game, I need to have like 30 versions of this rather than five and mm-hmm. in, in lesser owned stacks. If I'm stacking some game that, that barely anyone is like, I could just jam in the chalk and like, there's not many combos I need to like cover in my mind. Like, let me just play the best. Let me play a bunch of the best plays in those stacks. These is kind of like, I need to play a bunch of these stacks and then find a whole ton of leverage. plays.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's certainly, I mean, this is, uh, you know, I've kind of looked through just my notes and there are a number of intriguing kind of, lower probability, uh, stacks, but I still think stacks that have kind of decent, uh, decent shots at, at, you know, being the top scorer. Uh, and I think some of them are priced pretty well. Um, I don't know, for me, I I do have a hard time, I think just totally nuking, uh, you know, the top, the top game. Um, but yeah, I mean, it does seem like potentially a game as a whole to be, to be under on. Um, I I think for me, I, I will probably achieve that by trying to be close to around uh, field weight on the Seattle side and just ignoring the Buffalo side. I mean, if you were to pick a side, I mean, to me, like my thinking is that Allen has like Allen stacks have routes to, um, I guess, failure as a stack, even if Allen kind of gets there as a quarterback and pushes the game like his, I think like his scrambling upside just creates routes to, Allen getting there and, you know, keeping the score high. Um, But if he gets the rush, if he gets touchdowns rushing, um, you know, it will positively impact the game, positively impact the Seattle side. Uh, But there's just not a whole lot. Like, I just feel like there's more routes to failure in the, like, Diggs uh, kind of Buffalo uh, receiving stack side than there is for the uh, Seattle side. Like, obviously, you mentioned DJ, DJ Dallas you know, excelling is one way that, you know, the Seattle stack could not get there, at least, you know, rust plus receiver stack could not get there. Um, It just seems like there are more paths to failure for the Buffalo stack side, right? Like could be, you know, Singletary or Moss getting scores. Uh, Could be Allen getting a rushing touchdown or two, but not, you know, feeding to, um, you know, digs. Like, I don't know. To me, it just feels like there are, more paths to failure on the buffalo side than than seattle um, for, the, for the
1: for the three plus one i think for the two plus one i prefer the buffalo side okay like if you like if you because for that very reason that Diggs has 100 yards and you know 150 yards on you know 11 for 150 and a touchdown
2: mm-hmm.
1: Allen has 300 yards passing Three, you know, two passing touchdowns and two rushing touchdowns. Okay. And, and Allen beats out Wilson. I think there are more paths for Allen to have the higher score than Wilson does because of the rushing touchdowns. It just thing, just the fact is that those rushing touchdowns are negatively correlated to the extra pieces of yeah. the Bills stack. So like if I'm if I'm putting John Brown or Cole Beasley in there, those rushing touchdowns really come really? out of their ceilings. And then it's just a matter of getting the which which Seattle wide receiver you get right, right? It's just like you you play Allen Diggs Lockett and you play Allen Diggs Metcalf and you play whatever lineup you play. Just do a one v one and just hope for the best, I guess, at that point. But there's no way I'm playing uh, Lockett and Metcalf together when they're both this expensive. Mm-hmm. So I'm I, I'm welcoming my opponents to do so. And hey, if the Seahawks put up 52 points and that's the winning stack, then I just lose. Okay. But yeah, but let's go to the the, the game that you have the highest uh, stack probability. It, it should, I mean, it shouldn't be a, a surprise. It's the Chiefs because they have the highest implied team total. The game's at a fifty-three. It's up two points since open. The Chiefs are a ten and a half point favorite, and we saw last week that the the Chiefs were owned, but they were they were they had a thirty-five implied team total against the Jets as a, nearly a twenty-point favorite, and people were kind of a little bit hesitant to play them thinking that they just let off the gas. Uh, Now, as the heftiest favorite on the slate, we have ownership on on the Chiefs at pretty much single-digit, high single-digit. Kelsey at 9%, Hill at about 9%. uh, McCaffrey may be back. He's 8,500. I'm not sure he's much of a value, you know, if he's not going to see 90% of snaps, which we kind of can't expect him to with his first game back. But now that Kelsey and Hill are now over 7K, as opposed to last week, Kelsey was sixty six hundred and Hill was 6,400, 6, I believe. Uh, we get into those that once that we two guys in the seven k range, we get into that whole. I think they're they're negative because they are negative. We we see that they're negatively correlated. So, uh, with the the fact that people may shy away from this game, thinking that maybe the Panthers don't keep it competitive and that McCaffrey, like the two concerns I have in this game are. If I play it, most likely I play it as a single stack, right? Mahomes plus Kelsey, Mahomes plus Hill, something like that. The mm-hmm. problem is, is that, yeah, I like DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, 6,300, 5,600 as the runback. We think over the past couple of games that, you know, very condensed uh, targets, but Samuel has been getting targets and McCaffrey is going to be coming back and he's going to, Mike did. We saw this with Mike Davis in two games, like get like three total targets in two games. Like if McCaffrey's back, do they treat McCaffrey? Like they did Mike Davis. I'm assuming that if McCaffrey plays 60% of the snaps, this game, while he may not be worth 8,500, he may suck out uh, enough value from the Panthers side that, uh, that DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson are going to come. We have them currently projected at about 12 to 13% owned. Like it, it's quite possible they're overowned. I mean, I, I, I would like to go to this game if the if the Seattle side, if the Seattle and uh, Buffalo game is overowned, but I almost feel like this game is going to be slightly overowned also.
2: Yeah, I mean, on that Carolina side, to me, that just feels like a lot to pay for a team, uh, specifically like Anderson and Moore, and even at you know at that ownership level that you guys are projecting, like it just feels like a lot to pay for a team that has what like a twenty one. point I mean, you mean to tell me like I should be interested in a low total, expensive, and popular team? Like, I mean, I, I get the I get the condensed target share part, but it's just like I don't know. You you could like you know they have comparable total like Chicago, uh, which is I think also a fairly condensed team like I, it just to me feels like a lot to pay for um a team with a really low total um but i mean i don't think people would be playing bri- the bridgewater side i think
1: i think the more and anderson ownership reflects the the correlated bring back of like a mahomes plus kelsey and then one of more anderson it's just that in the it's going to be one of the two and it's going to be about even ownership so i i i mean i'm not saying that you should be playing the the Carolina side at a twenty-one implied total, because uh, they must be very low on your list. Yeah, but right. but it, it comes down to we. Well, I guess we saw it last week where you could have played the Chiefs and not had anyone from the Jets bringing it back. Uh, I mean, but the, at least you understood it last week. The Jets were like three, right? There were 3K, three K, thirty-three hundred. Like it didn't. Who cares? But I mean, now you're talking about around six K level like I see a lot of wide receivers in the 6k range in that range as one-offs in other games that even if they're not correlated I think are just better projected receivers than than Moran anderson
2: yeah definitely and you know like you mentioned the Kansas City pricing has come up a bit and their likelihood their you know their total and therefore their likelihood of just completely breaking the slate has come down i mean we You know, I I think um, you know. I found myself playing a a good bit of Kansas City last week because we had them at like a thirty percent chance to score the most points on the slate. And I know they didn't score the most points, but I think you know directionally that was just indicative of the fact that there was just a really high chance that Kansas City was going to put up a lot of points. Um, And you know, this week we have them at a fourteen percent chance as of now. So like, you know, their their prices come up um, and they're half as likely uh to you know break break the slate from just a you know team total uh standpoint like i don't know just to me doesn't seem like the greatest buy um
1: and there may also be recency bias right they saw what the chiefs did last week they were the winning stack and maybe they get a little bit over owned because of it
2: yeah it was interesting like so you were saying how their prices come up and therefore expectations that ownership will be down i was kind of thinking that because they were you know, the slate winning stack last week, uh, that maybe ownership would come up. And those are kind of two, uh, like diametrically opposed forces. I'd be interested to know kind of what, what force, uh, is more effective and kind of dictating where ownership goes. Is it, you know, people's suppression of ownership due to price increase or, Inflation of ownership due to recency. Um, I don't have a clear hypothesis on that, but uh might be well something. every
1: week is different. It could be a little bit of both. That's that's the whole point in judging. That's why you look and you go, Well, maybe they'll be even more owned because of recency bias, or maybe they'll be less owned because they're expense. Like you're judging that for yourself. So yeah. like I look at nine percent owned, ten percent owned on the cheap side, and normally I would say, okay, that that seems underowned, but for the context of this slate. I mean, they were, I think they were under last week because all of those high total games were coming down because of the weather. Yeah. And like, people had to go somewhere. The Chiefs would have probably came in if that Las Vegas Browns game kept at a 53 total or something. Like we would have saw the Chiefs not at, we would have saw instead of Tyreek Hill at 15%, he would have been 9%. He would, I mean, even at at, at their prices. So uh, I just think that that at best, the Chiefs are going to be efficiently owned, and at worst, going to be overowned. I just don't. I don't see. I don't see Hill and Kelsey coming in at at a level in which I'd want to play Mahomes with them. Maybe you could. Yeah, you could take a shot of seven K one off if you want. But like, if I feel compelled to having to play a nearly six K DJ Moore and a sixty three hundred dollar Robbie Anderson, like I typically like making the two plus ones, three plus ones. I'm more likely to just pass and let, if it beats me, it beats me.
2: Yeah. Um, no, I think with those two guys, it, it does feel like a lot to pay just given their, their team total. Uh, and especially if like McCaffrey comes back, I mean, that's just a huge blow to, you know, expected usage for those two guys. So um.
1: Well, let's go to the next game on the docket Raiders at chargers 52 total chargers are now favored by one. That line has come down. It opened at Chargers uh, charges favored by three. Now they're favored by one. Uh, obviously we have uh, one of the top targets. He's going to be owned again. He's going to be one of the highest owned wide receivers, Keenan Allen. Uh, we got uh, one of the highest owned tight ends, Darren Waller at 5,800 on DraftKings. Uh, we expect uh, Hunter Henry to get ownership in the kind of cheap before K range. Josh Jacobs, although maybe not one of the top chalk running backs, should still garner ownership at 6,300. Uh, the, the Chargers running back situation is, who knows, it's, it's the two or three headed backfield, but everyone else in this game is uh single digit owned. From a correlation perspective, I think that there's, I think there's more ways for this game to fail than succeed. Would you agree with me or not?
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the Chargers are the team we have, you know, projected to score more points, and you know, Vegas echoes that. Uh, there's kind of some, a lot of negative correlation on the Chargers side. I mean, uh, surprisingly, and just I know, you know, small sample, but Allen and Herbert haven't shown super strong positive correlation. And uh, I think that goes I mean, against
1: th- the narrative, though, Stuart. Most people are like, oh, look at all the targets he's getting. Herbert loves him.
2: Yeah. I mean, and I think that is true, but those targets that Allen gets just disproportionately benefit, uh, Allen than they do Herbert, you know, like Allen's just getting peppered with all these low a dot targets, which, you know, a a 10 yard catch is like a pretty good outcome for Allen, but like, it doesn't really help Herbert that much. Um, you know, I think lately, like Mike Williams has been getting a lot of the high value, um, kind of outcomes that just equally, or, you know, proportionally benefit Herbert and the receiver, Um, so yeah, it is, it is very, uh, counterintuitive that, you know, a receiver, a primary receiver and his quarterback would negatively correlate. And I would expect over a larger sample that to stabilize and move back towards positive. But, um, still, you know, in the early stages, it's not like we're seeing a lot of instances where Allen puts up great games and Herbert puts up, you know, relatively middling games or vice versa. Um, You know, I think if I'm going, I mean, I don't know. I'm not super interested in this game. Uh, Like there are teams with higher totals uh, that are uh, to me more efficiently priced. Um, If I were to stack up like LA side, I think maybe fading Allen and going like Herbert plus Williams or something might make sense. Uh, And if I'm not stacking up, like I do like, I mean, to me, Allen is a, is a chalky piece that I'm willing to eat um, as part of a one-off, but not as a part of, like, a stack. Um, I don't know. To me, the Las Vegas side is, is priced a little better, um, and their, you know, likelihood of scoring the most points isn't that that much lower than uh, L.A. Um, so, I don't know. Well, I mean, could... I, I agree with you that, like, Carr is uh, 1,100
1: less than Herbert. We have a Herbert currently projected owned at 8%, so he'll be towards the top of yeah. quarterback ownership. Carr is coming in at 3% currently. The problem with the Raiders side though is that outside of Waller like the ball could go anywhere. I mean yeah. Brian Edwards is even back, so like and it, like these guys aren't cheap. Like like Ruggs is 4900, Aguilar's 4700, Renfro's 4100. Like you're not you're not getting a cheap 4K flyer or something that and Waller's 5,800, and he's going to be chalky at tight end. So I, I, I have nothing opposed to playing car stacks and yeah. saying that Waller, you know, Waller gets his 20 points, right? Maybe he gets, you know, his 11 for 90 and a touchdown or something like that. And then the ball just get spread out, and Car still has, you know, three touchdowns, but they're all the different receivers, and it, and stacking the, the the other receiver is not going to matter. all those guys get 16 points, and then they're not going to win you a GPP that way. So, and then running it back with Allen. So like, although Allen and Waller are both going to be popular, like Carr just just turns that stack into uh, much less, you mitigate that ownership there. Uh, I'm not saying it's that appealing. I just think that there's a lot more ways for this game to fail than succeed. But I I wouldn't, I think more more people will be playing Herbert Allen Waller than we'll be playing Carr Allen Waller
2: yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think it's it's one of the less appealing games, but there is you know, if there are any intrigue in it for me, yeah, it is on that Las Vegas side just with consideration for price and ownership sensitivity. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm-
1: okay, let's go let's go to the next game. we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna come up to okay, this is this is one of my two favorite games on the slate. okay, We're coming up to it now. Maybe, maybe me and you, me you mean you Stuart for now, now we're kind of aligning here. A lot of times, we come in and I go, I think you're gonna like this one. And you do. So like I feel like like there's two of these games that, that we're gonna agree on. I think this one we will. Uh this is uh, the Detroit Lions at the Minnesota Vikings, 50 and a half total. This get this total has come down from 53. The Vikings are now a four and a half point favorite. I'm assuming the total has come down because we don't know what's happening with Matthew Stafford. He was put, he was, he was supposedly supposedly tested positive, but apparently he's now testing negative for COVID. Uh, there, there is a chance that he does play even without practicing this week. Cause they're holding him out obviously for isolation. Uh, if he doesn't play, it's probably going to be chase Daniel and chase Daniels, 4,000, but of all, of, but of course he's chase Daniel, but chase Daniel, isn't a like rookie quarterback is at least he's a veteran. So I expect that, that the, the offense could be somewhat, uh, comp, uh, competent. Galladay's out, so that takes a that takes an, a recie- an expensive receiver out of their tree. And then we have the Vikings, and the Vikings are as condensed as any other offense there is in the NFL. Uh, Cook is going to be the problem, one of the chalkiest guys on the slate. Like, I don't know about you, but Cousins, Fielding, Marvin Jones, and if you want to replace Fielding with Je- Jefferson just seems like a perfect blend of high positive correlation and a high amount of leverage off of Dalvin Cook.
2: Yeah. um, No, I think you hit the nail right on the head there. I mean, this is, I think there's really in this kind of total tier, there's a lot of really interesting games. This one uh, perhaps being the headline of that game. I mean, to me, the Minnesota uh, side just has like, I mean, it's rare that we get a stack that has kind of checks the box or quite nearly checks the box and like all the components we would look for in kind of an ideal stack and like Minnesota kind of does. I mean, we have them as the fourth most likely team to score the most points, 6.8%, not super high, but there's a lot of just kind of middling middling totals um, this week, weekend, no, t- no clear team separating. So fourth most likely team to score the most points. Um, you know i think we'll see it'd be nice if stafford played i think it would just there's less blowout risk there but like even if he doesn't i don't think there's a ton of like super high blowout risk they're cheap i mean cousins Steele, and jefferson are 19k combined um you know is where like wilson uh lockett metcalf combined for 2.2 or 22.2k you know we have like teams that have totals underneath Minnesota, like Arizona that are more expensive uh, than this Minnesota side. And then you mentioned like the leverage off cook, I think is a really desirable quality about this Minnesota team. Um, You know, all three of these guys, uh, particularly receivers have, you know, known exceptional ceilings, which I think is great. Like for me, we were just talking about Las Vegas. Like one of my concerns with Las Vegas is aside from Waller, I, I do have kind of ceiling concerns for, Cousin uh for car and any of those receivers, but like that just doesn't like i I don't really have many concerns about the ceiling of these Minnesota pass catchers and even cousins um and you know i i I don't expect ownership to be super super high on them. I'm pulling up line oh
1: they're they're coming I'll, I'll tell you right now we have uh cook projected at twenty eight percent owned yeah. Marvin. Jones, 14% though, because people are going to obviously with Gallaudet out, I get it. But Thielen, 14%. Jefferson, 4%. Uh, everyone else in the single digits, we have Cousins at 1.7% currently. To and Thielen, right. Thielen is now at a level, like he's 6,700 and Jefferson 6,100. Remember the Chiefs last week, Hill was 6,400 6, and Kelsey was 6,600. They put up enough points that both of them reached the ceiling. Uh Cousins, Thiel, and Jefferson is not like. Even though I consider I consider Thiel and Jefferson be negatively correlated, uh, I don't mind it. I probably I'm more likely to do a two plus one than a three plus one. But at this ownership, I just I just look at the ownership and go, how am I not playing? How, if Cook is going to be the highest owned player on the slate, let not let alone the running back position, that like the perfect negative leverage. I mean, it's it's it's. Can you get more negatively correlated to Dalvin Cook than, than Thielen and Jefferson?
2: No, it's, it's setting up really nicely in that regard. And early this year, I think we were talking about how Thielen and Jefferson couldn't really be played together because there was just really strong negative correlation. And I think our confidence in Jefferson's role wasn't quite solidified. Um, I think there was a point maybe two or three weeks ago where to date, Jefferson and Thielen had a correlation of like negative 0.4. Since, I forget what week that was. Um, I think it might've been like week five or so. Uh, since then, that correlation has come down to negative 0.24. So um, I don't know. We might have increasing confidence that um, maybe Thielen and Jefferson can coexist, uh, in t- coexist, but you know, be simultaneous pieces in a tournament winning lineup. And, and like you mentioned, kind of the pricing decrease on Thielen I think maybe makes that a little more uh palatable um and yeah I mean I I was seeing you guys had cousins at like 1.7 percent projected ownership I mean that is insanely low for a team that has a pretty respectable total is pretty cheap um well the fact is
1: is that the narrative I mean if you take a look at just the just a high level view of the matchup Detroit has a horrible rush defense People noticed that cook had a humongous game last week against another atrocious run defense in the Packers. And while I, I, no way am I saying cook is a bad play. He's probably the best. He's the, we we currently have him as the best projected play on the entire slate from a salary adjusted value perspective. But Mm -hmm. there, yes, it's the most probable outcome, but it's not the only outcome. So I think many people are going to overestimate and, it, you could take advantage of those lineups. Every every Dalvin Cook busted lineup that you that Thielen and Jefferson get their less probable outcome, you gain more. You just you just gain more points from because 30 percent of the field is getting a snowflake in their lineup. Like that's that's like a lot of people. What they would do is go well instead of playing Dalvin Cook, I'm going to play, and then they name another running back in that range, right? You know they go instead of dalvin cook I'll play who's on this who let let's take a let's let's take a look here I'll play derek henry instead and it's like well cook and henry are not correlated to one another I mean like this like they both can do well henry could do henry you could you could look and go henry put up 33 points and you think you're happy and then cook comes around and puts up 33 points and it's like you didn't get you didn't gain anything it didn't it is, they both could do well but it's very hard for cook could, to do well and Thielen and Jefferson all at the same time. So you stand to benefit more that if you're going to fade Cook, at least think you could just fade the game. If you want to fade Cook and then not play Thielen or Jefferson, well, now you're just fading the game. Now, now fine. Then you think the game goes under and, and no one, no one in the entire game gets there. But if you're going to, if you're going to play pieces of this, I I think the wide receivers on the Vikings are, they're playing in a dome right play. i mean like the 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 game environment sets up the total is 50 we're not talking about a low total game talking about a game that's over 50 uh that uh, currently the fourth highest total on the slate like i i just think uh, i i just hope people i hope people don't play the vikings wide receivers because i want to play more of them
2: yeah and on the detroit side i mean any particular uh guys you are very kind of interested in bringing back. Um, well, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's Marvin Jones. I think you could,
1: you could always get away with Hawkinson in the tight end spot. Although I still think he's overpriced.
2: Yeah. Uh, I think. I mean, his, his ceiling, at least throughout to, to this point in his career is like really not that high. Um,
1: well, he's the only reset. What, 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 I mean, we're talking about uh, without Galladay. In. So like, I don't mind that. I, I, No, I get. I if I were to bring it back, I don't think I bring it back with an Amendola or a Hall or something. Mm -hmm. It's quite, it's quite, and also it's quite possible because Quintus Cephas was inactive last game. Marvin Hall plays special teams, so like when Galladay got injured, like who else is going to fill in for him other than Marvin Hall? It's quite possible that Cephas gets activated this game and just plays the Galladay role, and Hall is just the fourth wide receiver that is on special teams again. So I'm not saying that to take a shot on Cephas, but I think a lot of people will overvalue the 113-yard game that Marvin Hall had after Galladay went out and think that is we, we do this all the time, right? With the in the past weeks where a guy comes in for an injury and then people assume like that's gonna be his role the next week. Uh I don't, I don't expect Hall to be really owned much. I mean, we currently have him at about four percent, but it's quite possible that moves up to six, seven percent and you, you're 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 trying. You're watching the game, going, "Where's Marvin Hall on the field?" And you see Quintus Cephas out there in three wide receiver sets.
2: Yeah, I mean Hall has been steadily uh, in kind of wide receiver four territory for Detroit so far this year. I mean, we did have two the first two games. Galladay didn't play, and Hall played 21 and 29 percent of snaps compared to uh, you know Cephas's uh, 79 and 66. Amendola seems kind of locked into a pretty steady role. It just, you know, slot receiver, 60% snap rate uh, kind of deal. Um, I mean, he did get a pretty good target share in those non galladay games at the beginning of the year, uh, 17 and 21%. Um, historically, uh, I don't know, Amendola has had pretty good cross-game correlation. Um, uh, to me, it might be an al- another kind of alternative consideration. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, in general, I think mostly partial to the uh, Minnesota side and, and might consider kind of a mix of Detroit guys on a few different Minnesota lineups uh, to bring back.
1: Okay, the next game on the docket, 50 total, came down one point since open. It's the Texans at the Jaguars. The Texans are now up to being a seven-point favorite, up from six and a half. Uh, we got uh, obviously uh, popular is going to be uh, Watson at quarterback. I uh, got obviously Cooks and Fuller are correlated to him. Uh, David Johnson's going to get some decent amount of ownership against the Jaguars' defense uh, at fifty-six hundred. I mean, it's going to it's it's going to be one of those not sexy plays, but people you know fill in. He'll get you know fifteen percent ownership or so. Uh, we may see some ownership on James Robinson even at seven thousand. Uh, the main problem I find in this game is that while uh, the Texans seem seem appealing to me, uh, Jacksonville is Chark healthy. I mean, they seem to throw to seem to. I mean, they're going to be playing with the obviously not Minshew. They're going to be playing with Jake Luton, if that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, he's forty nine hundred, so obviously he's a cheap quarterback. But like, who are you pairing? I mean, I I just. It, there's no way to gauge what this offense is going to look like, and the only way that I could gauge it from the past year, even going back to the the half last half the season, is that all the production could go through Char, Cole, Jeanault, Conley, Colin Johnson. Even that, if I were to stack the Jaguars, which I mean I prefer the Texans side, like okay, I guess I need to make 700 lineups in order to get all those combinations right. But I also feel the same way that if I stack Watson with either Cooks or Fuller, like, do I just assume that Chark is okay in a 5,200? I think that's, if I'm going to do anything, it would be DJ Chark just based on historical data. But we don't know what we're getting with Jake Luton. and I'm, And based on the ownership that's here on the Texans, which means it'll increase the, tech, the the Jaguars like run back type of ownership. Like, I don't. I I, I feel like this game. I don't trust the te- the Texans as a team enough that although they have a twenty, they have a what twenty eight, twenty eight and a half implied total. I'm sure that on on your on your chart they're going to come up high in probability. But if the Texans only scored if this game was fourteen to ten, I'm like I'm not shocked just based on. Having a rook having a, a the quarterback on one side and the Texans offense could easily be anemic regardless that the Jaguars defense is bad
2: yeah, they are coming up you know high on probability and I guess kind of relatively low on cost and um, you know they're they're kind of slotting in right below Kansas City and Seattle and you know the Texans pieces are a lot cheaper uh, than pieces from that team um I don't know. I, I, I think like the Texan side is interesting from a cost uh, you know, just cost per likelihood of putting up a huge total uh, standpoint, but um, yeah, I don't know. There, there is some like, there's, I don't know. To me like Johnson would be the piece that I'm interested in and just uh, I think I'm a little more interested in some of these uh, you know, middling games that are just below Houston in terms of, implied total you know minnesota we discussed uh atlanta i'm kind of interested in and um i don't know i could i'll probably do a little bit of houston uh houston stacks and yeah i mean i'm not really sure what you would want to do on the jacksonville side um i guess chark would be the default um but yeah i don't you don't really know what you're getting out of the quarterback um, i don't know to to me watson is probably the i'm sorry david johnson uh, would be the preferred piece in what I think is a pretty decent total game. So, um, you know, I would like to get some exposure to this game. Uh, I think I'd probably just prefer to do it through Johnson. I know he probably won't be super low in ownership, but it seems like kind of all this this entire Texan side has relatively, uh, you know, high to above average to high ownership. Um, But, you know, you do have that good correlation between Watson and Fuller. And while there's advantages to stacking up on that correlation, you know, Watson Fuller, Watson Cooks, uh, there are also advantages to fading it. You know, if the if one of those pieces fails, there's a good chance that the entire group fails. And, um, you know, I do think Johnson has maybe some good uh, negative correlation properties with with that stack that might be fairly popular of Watson plus receivers.
1: Okay, the next game in the last 50 plus point total game, Broncos at Falcons. Uh, This line has come up uh, two and a half points. The Falcons are favored by four. Yes, that's right. The Falcons are favored in a game. Uh, This is my favorite game on the entire slate. Yeah, I like this one too. Right. See, we we think together, Stuart. We think together, right? We like everything together. (laughs) Okay, so uh, we got uh, Ridley's out for the Falcons. So that's going to eliminate a ton of targets out of their uh, offense. Jones, uh, Julio Jones is sitting there at seventy-two hundred. Uh, he's right at a range we have currently projected a ten percent owned, only because Keenan Allen's in that range and the Seahawks wide receivers are in that range, and Diggs is in that range. He's like he's a perfect price leverage play, even as a one-off. And then we got obviously, you know, you could play a gauge. You could play a Christian Blake even in a stack. Uh, Cause typically that like Blake is out when Ridley's out. And then Zacchaeus is only in when Jones is out. like the way they do that. Maybe you don't, uh, it's a thin play to begin with, but uh, the, the Broncos are no offense, 4,600. Judy's 4,700. Patrick's going to be back. Probably he's 4,900. They're playing against the Falcons in, in a dome drew lock has no problem chucking the ball he's not a good quarterback but he'll chuck the ball and the falcons defense is not good uh drew lock is 5200 like drew locks 52 you could stat this is this is the vomit stack people are talking about like oh well how about ryan jones and then one of the no why not lock lock judy Fant, julio uh you, you get literally that lineup because if locks 5% and Judy is 6% and Fant is, I mean, he'll be owned somewhat 13% and Jones is 10%. Like, dude, you're there. Like literally just go in and play the best plays around him. And like, that could be, that could be in a mill that, that that could win you a million dollars, like just playing the three plus one. And then you could play, you can play Dalvin cook in that lineup. Good, no problem. You could put Keenan Allen in that lineup. You could, you could, you could do whatever you want at that point, at that ownership. And if you don't want to do that, you want to play uh, one of the running backs instead and go the opposite way. I don't think that's a bad problem. Melvin Gordon, Todd Gurley, they're not, they're not appealing options. But you uh, know, this total has moved up. I'm expecting points in this game, and I think people are just going to take a look at the Broncos and go, Ugh, "How do I play them?" Well, I'll play them.
2: They're so cheap. I mean, you can, you can get a three player stack on the Broncos for under 15 K. Like, I mean, the only other teams that you can do that with are, you know, Indianapolis. Uh, (laughs) It's like the only other team, uh, I guess, Miami you can get super cheap with, but yeah, I mean, we have the Broncos at, you know, 2.6% chance of scoring the most points, not high. Um, But for the price, I mean, it's like, You know, I don't think they're in a terrible spot, and like you said, Locke. Maybe he's not a great quarterback, but like he will chuck it, and uh, you know, at his price point, like that, that might be all you need. And you know, he's also going up against Atlanta. I mean, I think, I think there's a lot of different ways you can go uh, on this game. I think both sides, to me, seem very viable. Uh, You know, you could go Ryan Julio uh, and bring back one or two guys on the Denver side. I think you could go. Uh, you know, double, st- uh, double stack lock, it, uh, lock and you know, bring back Julio. Like you mentioned, Gordon, I think, is in play um, as well, you know, uh, just getting a really, really good role as a pass catcher uh, and runner. Um, yeah, I, I think you're you're going to have to play, if you do want to double stack Atlanta, do a little bit of pick them. Um, I don't, to be honest, have a great sense of kind of what the um, – you know role will be of kind of these secondary Atlanta receivers um but you know I think there is a decent chance one of them uh has a pretty solid game it's just to me at the moment not clear which of those uh receivers is most likely um you know Hayden Hurst has maintained a pretty stable role um I think there are some ceiling concerns for Hurst but um you know has had a stable role with uh you know, a nice, nice target share uh, over the course of the season where, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot of fluctuation that I mean, he's, he's averaging a 15% target share uh, over the course of the year. Uh, I think that is a possible route to go, although probably would only be in consideration with Ryan, uh, since I think there's going to be a lot of touchdown dependence for Hearst. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting game. I mean, to me, I had circled as really the two appealing games in this kind of tier of Total and kind of relative pricing is, is yeah Minnesota Detroit uh, Atlanta Denver, um, and even if you don't want to play lock, let's say you don't want to play lock,
1: who says you can't just do Julio Jones and Noah Fant or something or Judy like you do it as a secondary correlation and then you play some other stack with it or something right you you could play yeah. this they're at a ownership level that if you wanted to play even like even if you wanted to play Seattle you'd have to get cheap at running back you couldn't play Dalvin Cook in that lineup but I have no problem me I'm I'm not so Stewart. I'll combine this game with that other game. Right. And then fade the first, like, that's what I'm looking to do. I'm going, okay, I'm going to play drew lock, right? You play drew lock. You play, cause you get a tight end here. So you play lock, Judy, Fant, Jones, and then you secondary the other game. And you play Jefferson and Marvin Jones or something. And then you mm-hmm. fill out, then you play David Johnson as the negative correlation to the Texans passing game you play DJ Dallas as the negative correlation to the Seahawks game and <laughs> then you got everything you got leverage out your you got it out your butt and then you probably end up with 86 points and you lose but what I mean but that's yeah. if, if the, all the leverage points happen like there you go there you're, you're there's, there's a million dollars right there right yeah. this is but this is how I think but this, but you're you're I think we're both we're the first week, you know, people are like, oh my God, Jordan's crazy, right? Drew Locke and, and Drew, you're going to play Drew Locke stacks, right? You're going to play Chase Daniel if he starts for the Lions. Like now, once you start getting into going, oh, okay, it's just the logic puzzle it puts together. And uh, and and to me, it makes sense. It makes set more sense if, if you're not playing that Seattle Buffalo game than it does if you do. And I see multiple spots. It's not like I'm taking my like Seattle stuff and go, well, I guess I'll just like throw it at the wall. I was like, no, I see spots that, that contain a lot of relative value. And, uh, and this one and the, the Vikings lines one are, are two of them. Do you see anything else under 50 total that could be appealing? Cause I think we get, we get that kind of downhill quite quickly.
2: Yeah. I mean, Pittsburgh's got a nice total, but it's, you know, huge blowout risk. I think probably just taking like a guy like Connor um, would be a good route to go and not really t- worry too much about stacking up. Uh, you know, again, Tennessee is kind of a decent total per price, but, you know, similar uh, blowout and kind of opposition concerns. Um, How about this
1: Arizona game? Because I think with uh Drake likely to be out, That at 6,800, Chase Edmonds may start gaining ownership. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I think he's fine at the price, but like I don't want to play a chalky Chase Edmonds in this spot. Uh, Like I don't. But the thing is, is that the leverage off of Edmonds would be Hopkins, and now I'm like I feel like I'm overpaying for Hopkins because I'd rather play I'd rather play receivers in that range from other teams. So it feels like I don't like. I don't want to play, play. I don't want to play the chalky guy, but I don't want to play the guy that's negatively correlated over either. And which means that, like, then how do I play Dolphins? And obviously, their running back situation is a mess. So who knows what's going to happen there? I guess you got Devontae Parker on the other side. To me, unless unless you're playing Chase Edmonds or DeAndre Hopkins, I wouldn't care about the Dolphins. But like, the only the the only way I consider Hopkins. Is the more and more that Edmonds gets owned. If it turns out that Edmonds is 15% and Hopkins is 12%, like they're just like, eh. if you want, if you want to play them, great. I don't think they're 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 over owned or under owned. They're if they fit, feel free to use them. But I I just don't I just don't see that unless it gets really lopsided in, in that ownership that either are worth like leveraging off of.
2: Yeah, I mean, that Arizona group is expensive as a group relative to their, you know, total and likelihood of, you know, putting up kind of the most points on the slate. And yeah, I mean, I guess with like Hopkins, it's not like you get a massive, uh, well, I mean, we'll see kind of what Edmonds projected ownership, you know, settles at towards Sunday. But, uh, you know, between Hopkins and uh, like Murray, I'm not really sure you're getting, you're definitely not getting any sort of price discounts. And I'm not even sure you're getting like a massive ownership discount uh, on a game that is at least per our estimation, a bit overpriced relative to, uh, you know, the total and and likelihood of them beating out some of these other teams. I mean, you know, Murray Hopkins combined is, you know, way more expensive than like Cousins Thielen or Cousins Jefferson, or, you know, even Watson Fuller, Watson Cook, uh, you know, Ryan Julio, like there are, cheaper combinations of players that, uh, you know, have higher totals, higher likelihood of, you know, scoring the most points. And, uh, uh I'm not totally sure what the ownership discount would be for some of those alternative stacks relative to Kyler and Hopkins. Uh, it seems like they'd be relatively equal, I guess. Um, but yeah.
1: And then we also have like the Ravens, like Jackson has come down in price. And obviously more correlated to Brown and Andrews, but it's not like they're, they're great values. And then you got the Colts who could, obviously they could throw it to 13 different people. I mean, like, like how do you, it's, it's hard to stack them. Like I'm looking at the pieces of the games going, like, yeah, like in the New York Washington game, like if you want to take a shot in Terry McLaurin, I think that's fine, right? Like, why not? in uh, the, the Titans, Bears game if you want to take a shot on Derrick Henry you're right or you know even Allen Robinson on the other side but I don't think they correlate well together a Henry ceiling game and a Robinson ceiling game so I don't know about stacking that so like I don't know if you see anything else but to me the rest of the games are more one-offs and and almost barely secondaries
2: yeah I mean no, I agree. I mean, to me, like the, the pit, the pit side, I think there's some uh, kind of one-offs there, but it's not really a game I'm interested in stacking up. Yeah. Well, the
1: Cowboys have a 14 point implied total. Yeah,
2: yeah, Who's yeah. starting
1: at quarterback for them. Is it the guy off the street? I mean, like, is a fan starting the game for them?
2: I'm not sure. I mean, last I have seen, and we have as Danucci, uh, I have heard some mumblings of like Cooper Rush, um, maybe starting. I mean, who knows? Um, kind of who cares to be honest but uh, <laughs> yeah um no I I think it's going to be hard for the Cowboys to keep up uh such that and, and like Pittsburgh is not a condensed you know target share anyways so um you know if I had high confidence that like if Cowboys were to keep up and just Roethlisberger would just be like feeding you know any one of those receivers to total exclusion of the other maybe it would warrant some consideration but like it it could be any three of those guys, you know, between uh, Juju Claypool and Deontay Johnson. So, um, I mean, it is, it is a good total. Um, and you know, they are strong enough favorites that I think, uh, there's routes to Connor, like really just putting up a big game. Um, so I think he's a very, very interesting one off for me, but, um, yeah, not, not super interested in them as a stack. And I know we do try to structure the show around kind of stacks. So, um,
1: uh, we talking about stacks. What's going on with the advanced sports analytics sub stack this week?
2: yeah um, haven't typed it up yet but um, I think we are going to uh, you know I, I include like the the chart that I have used as my kind of notes for this show um, which has all the metrics that we're discussing with regards to uh, you know top score probabilities um, you know a- aggregate correlations across uh, single stacks and double stacks of these teams and you know, I think in this show we try to touch on some of the relevant ones, but uh skim over some of the irrelevant or even relevant but less relevant ones. Um so if you want kind of that full 360 view of uh you know some of the things that we think are important to consider in tournament building, uh you can subscribe. I think it's ten dollars a month. Um, or if you are an ASA subscriber, uh you get access to it through blogs on the site. Um, so it could be worth checking out. Um I've been just today doing some updates to our this uh, you know top top point probability tool that we have, uh, adding in some probabilistic predictions around uh, you know margin of victory or defeat for these games. Um, you know I think it is useful in kind of calling out which games have really high likelihood. Like for example, uh, you know we have Pittsburgh as a nearly one in three shot of beating Dallas by twenty one plus points and you know, understanding the likelihood that some of these teams just blow the doors off their opponent, I think is useful for consideration. Um, you know, understanding how likely it is that games are going to remain hyper competitive, you know, when under seven points or something like that, I think is relevant. So we added that, uh, to the tool. Um, I think it also is going to be really useful for showdown, uh, just understanding the kind of probabilities of different bucketed outcomes occurring and trying to line up, uh, you know, lineup build uh, archetypes around those different, uh, you know, game competitiveness uh, scripts, I think could be valuable. So um, if you're interested in looking at that, uh, check it out on the site. Um, Yeah.
1: And if you're interested in winning large field tournaments, you better use a tool like lineup HQ on Roto Grinders. And that's part of our premium subscribership. So you could, uh, you get a, you could get $5 off your first month of an RG core Four premium subscription. By uh, using the link in the description of the show, rotogrinders.com/media/asa, slash and it's uh, for all all the core sports: NFL, MLB, NBA, PGA. You get full lineup HQ access, a ton of content, a ton of premium shows. So sign up today for that. But uh, you could follow Stuart at Start Gibson or As Analytics DFS on Twitter. I'm Blender Ed Blender HD on Twitter. And hopefully, if I'm not on top of you in the GPP leaderboards, Stuart is. And then after Stuart are the listeners and viewers of the show. So if I can't have good luck, then I, I wish you so. So that has been the Advanced Sports Analytics Show here on rotogrinders.com. <laughs>